never, ever marks the spot. I am altering the deep. Pray I don't alter it any further. Most of the intelligence community doesn't believe he exists. The ones that do call him the Winter Soldier. I'm Batman. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Top 5 Report, the podcast that wonders... Would Goldie Wilson would have run for mayor if Marty McFly didn't mention it in the past? My name is Drew. I'll be your host for the evening. Along with me, as always, is my brother Peter. <laughs> hey, man! I am here. Uh, this that just uh, that's just such a huge rabbit hole that we don't want to go down. But I always wondered about like according to the Back to the Future timeline. I think it was like Chuck Berry's cousin was performing in the band. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was playing at the fish under yeah, the, the enchantment under Marvin the... Berry. <laughs> right, right. But then he calls Chuck Berry, to, and he's like, "You got to hear this song." And it's almost like, so who created the song? Did Chuck Berry like influence himself? <laughs> like, where did well, the song come from? It's a weird paradox. I feel right, it's, right, yeah. Keeps me up at night, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Keeps me up at night. This is the stuff I think about at home when I'm sitting home alone and the power goes out. Yeah, while your wife's thinking, he's probably thinking about other girls. Yep, I'm just wondering about the weird Chuck Berry paradox in Back to the Future. <laughs> you know those memes with the girl sleeping mm-hmm. on the left side of the bed and then the guy yeah. sleeping on the other side of the bed and his throat? And it's it's exactly that. My <laughs> my favorite one is where the girls like it's Peggy Carter. And Steve Rogers. Oh, nice. I don't know if I've seen that one. And the pe- and Peggy Carter says, "I'm so glad Steve's back because of end because of the end of Endgame." Yeah. And Steve Rogers says, "I gotta wait 28 years to see Star Wars again." <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Um, awesome. Anyway, let's get this show on the road. Um, how are you, man? How's your week been? Oh, it's been just. I've just been had a crazy busy week. Um, yeah, it's just been chock full of work and just other craziness that I haven't really done too much exciting stuff. I watched a couple things, but nothing like too exciting to report about, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, how about you? <laughs> um, I've been busy with work related stuff. I've been getting a script put together for a new project and um trying to keep up with watching stuff and I'm about to take a vacation, which is well-deserved in my opinion. So, <laughs> well, that that's fair enough. I'm glad that you, you mentioned the script. I have been doing a lot of drawing and kind of trying to get this uh, comic project off the ground that I've been neglecting for a long time. So that's <laughs> something fun and creative and nerdy, nerdy that I've been up to. Um, but yeah, um, other than that, I guess I could hop into watching and reading if you want. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, cool. So I'm trying to finish Vox Machina. Um, I okay. kind of, uh, in my household, I don't get that much time to watch the shows that I want. <laughs> sure. But I'm almost done with the first season. Um, I think I've, I've got two episodes left. So where I left off, um, they're all battling on the ziggurat under the castle in Whitestone. And, right. uh, 
it's it's just really awesome. Like the show is just really good. It's kind of weird that I don't have I don't have too much to say about it because it's just a really solid show. And I think when the show ends, um, I'm going to have more to say. I do think it's interesting. Uh, the more the show goes on, I'm kind of uh, I've been kind of thinking about how they focus on Percy so much and his backstory in this season. And it makes me feel like in um, following seasons, there might be just like. They might do that again where they're going to hone in on a specific character and sure. the main plot is going to be surrounding their past. I don't know if that's the case, but it would be a cool way to uh, structure a show in that way. But uh, yeah, this yeah. one, I'll, I'll definitely have more to say as we go on. But what were you going to say? Well, I, there's a there's a series of behind the scenes videos that were put on YouTube. They're like five, six minutes each. And it's like behind the scenes with the writers, behind the scenes, with the animators, behind the scenes with the uh, set design or art design team. You know what I mean? Like these yeah. little clips. And um, they were talking about how they basically were focused, like, let's pick a, a really good point in campaign one to start with. And then, you know, for the sake of introducing all these characters to the world who doesn't watch the show proper. Right. Um, so, and that, and just, you know, my not, because I started with campaign two and bounced around with campaign one a little bit. Um, my knowledge of it was I had just enough knowledge to really understand what I was walking into with the cartoon. Um, and then just, I feel like, I feel like for me, the Briarwoods were very, uh, the Briarwoods and Dorolos and stuff, that whole history was like, I missed that part of the campaign where, I got to hear about it in backstory, if you will. like. This was kind oh, of like okay. a backstory moment for me because of how I came into the show, you know. So, right, um, it's a lot of content. Like that show, because of how lengthy those episodes are, like the actual Critical Role show, it's so hard. Like if you're going to keep up with it, keep up with it. But to go back and catch up, it's really difficult because of how lengthy the program <laughs> is. So, like the uh, the podcast you're talking about. Yeah, because well, yeah, because you can watch it on YouTube and see like because if you watch it, if you listen to the audio, you don't get you don't get their facial reactions. You don't because they because they're they're voice actors, but they act. So you know when they're having those conversations at the table and in character and stuff, it's actual acting. So if you watch the show and uh, not listen to it as an audio, you watch it visually, you get all of it, and then when they go into like battles, you get to see the battle maps and actually see how it plays out and everything. Um, so I've actually, with campaign, campaign two, I listened to all audio. Yeah. Campaign three, I've specifically been watching every episode on YouTube. Nice. Cause they, I don't like, they record when we record, so I can't do both at the same time. <laughs> um, you don't want to like live tweet the, uh, critical no. role episodes for no, us. So like they, uh, the episode when their episodes drop on Monday, just like ours do. So. You know, I get home from work and I watch like an hour of it. And then, mm -hmm. uh, the next Tuesday I'll watch the next hour and Wednesday I'll watch the next hour. And by the end of the week I've caught up and then, you know what I mean? So it kind of works out. Right on. I've, I've been like wanting to actually start listening to the show like properly. Cause like I've mentioned before, I've listened to some of season one, but not that much. And I've heard from multiple sources that season two is actually a great place to jump in, but, I kind of want to listen to it in podcast form because, you know, then I can take the dog for the for a walk and yeah. you know, be listening to Critical Role and I won't have to worry about 
you know, a YouTube video playing in my <laughs> in my pocket the whole time. But the problem I've ran into is Apple Podcasts is like isn't making it that easy to go back and listen to it. Like there's a lot of scrolling involved. And then when I go to listen to the next episode, there's probably going to be 10 to 15 more minutes of scrolling. You know what I mean? So I've been trying to figure it out, but I really want to jump in um, just because I kind of want to, I'm kind of getting to the point where I'm trying to find, like I'm getting bored with some of the podcasts I listen to, so I'm looking for some new ones. But uh, I'll let you know how that goes, let you know if I, if I actually right. end up can, can listen to it. Well, um, I'll say, because Campaign 2 takes place on a different content continent in Campaign 3. So, right. and the continent from Campaign 2 has only been mentioned in dialogue. It hasn't, like, nothing that has, like, there's no spoilers or anything like that for Campaign 2. So you could listen to Campaign 2 audio and watch Campaign 3 because you're only 17 episodes behind. So, <laughs> um, Oh, that makes sense. Okay. You know what I mean? So you could at least, you know, in a way, I don't know. Maybe I should just jump on Campaign 3 <laughs> go from there. <laughs> They're two different stories. So It sounds know. easy. It sounds easier, to be honest. <laughs> right. Right. Um. Because campaign but, two, I think, is 140 episodes, and they're yeah, all exactly. three to four hours in length. <laughs> so, yeah, um, but yeah, I, I guess um, I could also mention. I watched one other thing this week that I wanted to mention because sure. I think it's it came up in discussion on the podcast a couple times. But I actually watched uh, that movie uh, Deep Water with uh, Ben oh. Affleck and Ana de Armas. Yeah. Um, okay. Have you had a chance to watch this yet, Drew? Not or? yet. Not yet. I really okay. want to, but go ahead. I'm really curious to know what you think of this movie, and I'm going to keep my review very vague, but yeah. I kind of feel like this movie is really vague, so that kind of works, because <laughs> this is a very unusual film, and it's unusual because you'll watch it, and... It takes a little while to figure out what exactly is going on. Um, not necessarily in a good or bad way, just like it takes you a bit to figure out what the characters are doing, what their motivations are, etc. You're basically led into Ben Affleck and Ana de Armas's characters are, uh, they're, you know, they're married, they're in a relationship, but they have a very weird relationship. Um, they both, <laughs> are kind of really horrible people in their own ways. But it's one of those things where you watch the movie and it's just super ambiguous as far as how the characters feel about each other and the events that are going on. Um, it's really ambiguous when you get to the end of the movie about, um, I guess, their motivations and uh, kind of where they're both at in their relationship. And it's it's just an interesting watch, and I think that's one thing I actually really love about this movie, because I don't know what I think about it, because it is it does have a lot of open-ended parts, and it's really ambiguous, but it's it was interesting, and it's a movie that I'm going to remember for a long time. Um, I don't... It's not quite the same vibe as this movie, but I feel like if you've seen Gone Girl, which oddly enough is another Ben Affleck movie, but sure. it had similar vibes to Gone Girl, but it was weirder than Gone Girl, if you can imagine that. And it <laughs> it's even more 
open-ended and ambiguous, where Gone Girl kind of has a pretty open-ended <laughs> sort of conclusion. So you can imagine this movie's even more so open-ended like that. But after watching it, I have some theories. Um, there's some things the movie doesn't tell you, but I have some theories about what was actually going on. And it's not like one of those things where you there's a mystery to the events that actually occurred in the film. It's more, I have theories about what was going on in the characters' heads. Because that's what it is. It's a lot of what the characters are thinking and their motivations. That's where the mystery is for this one. All right. But as far as the events of the film, they kind of play out straightforward. But there's this really big intrigue into, wait, what? What is that character's motivation? You know, what are they thinking here? And that's what I do think is interesting. I'll say, but I'll leave it at that because I don't know <laughs> wholeheartedly. I don't know what I feel about this film. I don't know if it's a nine out of 10 film or like a six out of 10 film just because oh, of okay. the ambiguity that's there. So hopefully you're, you're able to watch this sometime soon, Drew. I'd love to have a more in depth, uh, spoiler filled discussion about it. You know what well, I mean? I do, but, I do know the premise of the film. So. Okay, and that's I, I'm kind of I, curious I do know how... the I do know the premise, so like I'm just that's one I'm I'm really kind of eager to watch it just because of the press that came around it and the fact that it was going to get completely like shelved and not released, and then they were like, no, we'll release it. I'm like, okay, what's going on with this movie? You know, so. And I'm kind of curious how much of the premise you do know because this is another one where I feel like you could know exactly what it's about, kind of, but until you see how everything plays out, it's kind of sure. It's almost more about the mood of the movie than like the actual events in a weird way. So, but it's yeah. it's definitely an interesting watch. <laughs> so, if you have heard what I just said and it sounds interesting, I'd say definitely check it out. But if it sounds just very ambiguous and weird and not up your alley, that's totally understandable as well. But I like I like movies that are interesting and memorable and maybe don't follow the typical uh, format. So, I definitely enjoyed this one in that regard at least. So, right. yeah. Um, that's honestly pretty much it for me for watching and reading. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what all you've had a chance to consume this week. Well, I have, we'll start with Ben Affleck. Um, okay. I, I watched, um, I watched the last duel. Oh, sweet. Uh, How was it? So this movie, this movie is, uh, it's a weird roller coaster. Um, the trailer makes it look way more epic than it is. Um, the the movie this is a little bit of spoiler like right off the bat you got uh so it's clearly okay so quick premise of the movie um Matt Damon's married to this chick who says uh Adam Driver raped her and Matt Damon is pissed and the way the trial and courts aren't going well he challenges Adam Driver to a duel uh a trial by combat, and the movie is about the last ever trial by combat in history. So, you have, the movie opens with Matt Damon and Adam Driver getting geared up and into their armor. <laughs> nice. And then they climb on their horses, and mm -hmm. then they grab their lances, and they go charging at each other for the drip joust, and they collide, and it stops. And it, okay, flashes, nice. and it flashes back, and you see the story unfold. Okay. Nice. You get up to a point in the story, and the story stops. And it goes all the way back to the beginning. And then it says, the truth 
told by, and they give you the person's name, and then you watch the story unfold from a different perspective. Okay. And then you it stops, and it goes the truth according to, by according to, and then you watch the story uh, unfold by the third perspective. So you get all three players: Matt Damon, Adam Driver, and then Jodie Comer plays the wife. You get all three stories play out, and then it basically culminates back to, um, the fight at the end. Okay. So there's some epic moments to it. There's some cool fight scenes. The battle itself is pretty badass. It was really interesting to watch this, and one of the reasons being is because, like, other movies I've seen do that where they show different perspectives, um, usually have, like, cell phones and the internet and stuff like that, so everything's very quick, and everyone knows all the pieces of information. We're dealing with medieval times, so there's a point where Matt Damon's not home for three months, so you get to see everything she did during that course of the three months that, that led to this event. You know what I mean? Or he got home for the couple nights, and then he's like, I got to go to Paris for a week. And she's like, okay, you're going to be gone for a week. You know what I mean? So now here's her at home for a week without him there. So, like, his the information he he got in his part of the story, it's not that he's not getting the full part, but he's not seeing it the way us as an audience saw it. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> there's these time gaps, and that I found very interesting to pl- as it played out the way it did. No, that that sounds awesome, and I feel like, um, just to, like, just to comment on that, like, I feel like we live in a society with just instant, like, news feed and stuff, and you can know what's going on at any part of the world at any time, and it's kind of, uh, it's cool to look back at the olden days when, like, literally, you wouldn't know what was going on for, like, months in some cases, and, you know, certain parts of the world, or to certain people you know, and, uh, yeah, it sounds like a cool just juxtaposition for a modern audience watching that, but, right. uh, no, what were, you, what were you saying? Well, my criticism of the movie is Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. Now, okay. I definitely enjoy them as actors, and I like them in other things. But for some weird reason, and I just can't put my finger on it, they don't fit this okay. time period, maybe. I'm not 100% sure. It was weird. Like, I bought it at first, and then I slowly stopped seeing them <laughs> as the characters that they were. And I'm like, I like you guys in other things. Why is this weird? <laughs> right. Um, otherwise, everybody else fit just fine, and it was great. That was, that was my only criticism. Like, you guys don't fit this. And maybe because it's medieval France and these guys are not medieval Frenchmen. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't. Um, yeah. I'm like, you guys are from Brooklyn. <laughs> or you guys are from Boston. Not Boston, like, yeah. Boston. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't know. And that's, like I said, it's my only criticism and it's a weird criticism because they were fine and I liked them as actors anyway. I just was like, this is weird. So, yeah. Anyway, the last two, well, overall, I really enjoyed it. How about Nice. You? Um, <laughs> is that on HBO Max right now? It is on HBO Max, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, let's see, what else did I watch? Okay, I finished, uh, Peacemaker. Oh, right, how, how's, how'd uh, that go? Peacemaker is awesome. Look, <laughs> look, <laughs> I, I told, I said last week that I was halfway through and it was great. I finished it, it's great. It's just fantastic. Um, I'm gonna make a, I'm gonna make a spoiler because there's a little bit of a news piece that's gonna feed into this part of this segment real quick. Um, okay. There's a, do you mind if I spoil something? No, yeah, yeah, you're, you're fine. <laughs> okay, because it's a big, it's kind of a big moment. You okay? 
Yeah, yeah, go for right. it. Show's been out long. Show's been out long enough. There's a big cameo at the end of the finale. Um, there's a big battle fight scene that happens, and then when the fight scene's all over and like they're picking up the pieces, the Justice League shows up. Oh, nice! Superman, Wonder Woman, Flash, and Aquaman. And Peacemaker's walking right past him. He's like, you guys are effing late. And, you know, (laughs) um, and he yells at Aquaman. He's like, go F another fish or something like that. And Aquaman's like, I hate that guy. And (laughs) Flash, and it's Jason Momoa and Flash, uh, Ezra Miller. Miller, He goes, wait, you don't do that? He's like, F you, Barry. And, like, that's the end. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, it's a really funny moment but it's a big cameo for something that you weren't expecting the Justice League. The reason I, <laughs> the reason I wanted to spoil this is because James Gunn has specifically said um, he definitely is teasing more DCEU cameos in the later in the next season of Peacemaker. He, however, said, I don't know if the Justice League is going to show up every season of Peacemaker. That might be a one-time thing. Um, so it's just nice to hear that they're going to be trying to get in more characters and uh, build it, you know. So um, <laughs> that sounds awesome. Did they? Um, so besides uh, the Flash and Aquaman, did they have the other actors in there, or was it they more clearly like use, they clearly used stunt people for Superman and Wonder Woman because okay. they kept them kind of silhouetted in shadow, right? And I'm okay with that because, like, here's the thing: when you see it, you're going to go, "Oh my God, it's all of them," <laughs> you know. <laughs> You're like, they did it. They got them all. And then, like, Batman's not there, but the other four are. And then you get the close-ups of Ezra Miller and Jason Momoa. So. Nice. <laughs> um, but no, Sounds Peace- amazing. Peacemaker was fantastic, and it's really funny. And it's, it's very James Gunn when you get to the end. Um, if, you've ever, if you know James Gunn's other work that's not Guardians of the Galaxy and Suicide Squad, it's very James Gunn. Um, okay, nice. Yeah, like there's some there's some stuff in this that's very James Gunn. So know that going in, and if you like his stuff, you're gonna really like this, especially with like creature stuff that he does. So um, then I also watched uh, the show Minx, which just started on HBO Max. It's four episodes in. The show's really funny. Um, do you know what this is? Have you seen this? No, yeah, never, okay. never even heard of it. So Minx is a show about a magazine from the 70s, okay? So the the show takes place in the 70s during, like, the magazine boom. Like, we don't really have magazines now. We have the Internet, and we have Google and our phones. Um, Yeah. We don't really read magazines the way people read them back in the 70s. So this is, like, the magazine industry, right? Mm -hmm. And it focuses on this girl who's trying to launch her magazine. And she... Is it's a feminist magazine about feminist feminism and all that stuff and like women should get equal rights and equal pay and all that nonsense. Anyway, um, Jake Johnson from the New Girl is a publisher and he reads her magazine and he's like, I want to publish it. And she's like, Really? And he goes, Yeah, but not in the form that it's in. And she goes, What are you talking about? He goes, It's too wordy, it's too hardcore, it needs to be lightened up, like, I think you've got something, but you need to do it in a different format, and he is, happens to be one of the publishers of the majority of the porn magazines, <laughs> right, <laughs> um, and he, and he talks her into doing the first women's porn magazine, 
So they have okay. their centerfolds and blah, blah, blah. So they're basically taking this movie, this magazine about feminism and turning it into a female porn magazine. But it's, so it's essentially like Playboy and Hustler, but it's, it's like one, it's like the first Playgirl, I guess you could say. Right. Um, the mo- the show is hilarious. Like, absolutely hilarious. But I will warn everybody listening, if you give the show a shot, there is a lot of full frontal nudity on both genders' parts. A lot. <laughs> so know that going in, if I have any kids listening to this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you've been you've been warned. The show's hilarious though, and the stuff that comes out of Jake Johnson's mouth is so funny. Like it's just like the one liners are just top notch, dude. Like it's hilarious. So um, I definitely, I definitely say give it a give it a watch just for the just for the comedy aspect. But yeah, so okay, <laughs> nice. Um, it sounds hilarious. So <laughs> yeah, it is. It's absolutely hilarious. And then my kid decided he wanted to start watching Naruto or Naruto. Naruto. Okay. <laughs> How I say yeah, that? I've been, I've been, I've been, I've been making fun of it. I've been walking around the house like, "You watching Naruto?" Um, and he's like, "That's not what it's called." I'm like, "I know. It's called Naruto." <laughs> um. Anyway, he's been watching that, so that's been out of my house a lot this week. Um, other than that, uh, that I think that covers my watching and reading. So, <laughs> I never got into uh, Naruto at all, but it's kind of crazy to me how long that series has been popular if your son's getting into it. Because I remember I had friends watching that back in high school and stuff. <laughs> and for me, that's like going on like 15 years-ish. 20 years-ish, yeah. I'm not really sure at this point, but it's been a while, so it's like, well, it's, it's pretty nine, cool that that show's been that seasons. popular, you know? It's only yeah, nine, but then they've got, the, they've got the spin-offs, too. Oh, yeah, well, I just... <laughs> <laughs> All right, there you but, go. But I, I, I hear you, Only Nine is actually kind of a breath of fresh air when you start looking into, like, Dragon Ball and One Piece and a bunch of the other, like, super long shonen anime shows like that, but... Yeah. Um... <laughs> Well, anyway, that's kind of the end of my watching and reading category. Um, what are we, uh, let's talk about the news, man. All right. Yeah, sure. All good. All right. So first, it's all quick hits. There's not really big discussion topics this week. Uh, news was really weird as I was piecing it together. I'm like, wow, there's like not much to talk about this week. And I was actually scared that we were going to have no news for a little bit there. Um, oh, nice. <laughs> Quick hits. Uh, Christopher Lloyd joins the cast of Mandalorian season three. Um, okay. No character. <laughs> I but... saw some memes about this, but yeah. I didn't know it was. I knew he was going to be in Star Wars. I didn't know it was going to be Mandalorian. So. Yeah. No. I think that's cool. Um, I don't know who he's going to be, and I kind of don't want to look into it because just it's Christopher Lloyd. He's probably going to be some alien character, and even if he's not, it's going to be cool because it's Christopher Lloyd. You know, <laughs> right. um, the the meme that I saw said that uh, Christopher Lloyd was going to be Gina Carano's replacement, <laughs> oh. <laughs> which is just ridiculous <laughs> and hilarious. But uh, yeah, you can keep going. <laughs> um, in the realm of Disney stuff, Jared Leto. Remember when we talked a long time ago about Jared Leto being in Tron Three? Vaguely? Vaguely. I mean, it was a long time ago. It was like a D23 announcement from like two years ago that they were okay. like, hey, by the way, there's going to be a Tron 3 and Jared Leto is going to be in it. And you're like, great. And so then that, 
and then that's silence <laughs> since. <laughs> so that's why I don't really remember it, but it okay. honestly sounds really cool. I'm all for this. Yeah, right. <laughs> Even though I don't remember us talking about it at all. Well, Jared Leto has told Screen Rant that he's a super fan of Tron and that they're working really hard with Disney and that there should be, annou- there should be an announcement coming soon. <laughs> okay, awesome. And you're like, great. It's nice to hear that's still moving forward. <laughs> Is he going to be a new villain in the I, Tron universe? Or? I don't know. He could be the yeah. next dude in the Tron universe. I have no idea. That's, um, that's true. I just feel like Jared Leto makes such a good villain for whatever reason, so I kind of hope it's that direction. But Sure. Um, Bella Thorne wants to play Lady Deadpool in Deadpool 3. Interesting. Um, she's not being cast or in talks. She just said she would like to do it. Um I honestly think that might be a decent cast. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not. A, I'm not against it. I don't know if I've ever seen her in anything that gave me a Lady Deadpool vibe, but that's I mean, a good point. I'll agree with you there. <laughs> but I do see what you mean. Like, it's also like you're not immediately against it either. So yeah, I don't know. <laughs> like you read the article, you read the headline. Story, you don't need to read the article, but you read the. He- you don't need to read the article, but if you do, great. If you just read the headline, you're like, Bella Thorne wants to be Lady Deadpool? Well, I mean, I guess. I'm Okay, yeah, you know, that's <laughs> yeah. that's the full range of emotions as you mull that over. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. So, like I said, I'm not against it. Uh, or like, yeah, why not? I'm not against it. Um, I know you don't care about this, but why not? It's just more content news. Uh, there will be a second season for the reboot of Sex and the City. Uh, <laughs> I was waiting for you to say the story, and then I was, like, ready to defend myself. Like, no, I care about that, but no, you're right. I don't care about this one. There is, like, now that I'm looking at it, there is a stack of Marvel news, so we'll keep that all together. Like, MCU stuff, we'll keep that all together. Um, Do you remember uh, hearing about Tim Burton doing a new... Adam's um, Family? Adam's Family. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's going to be about Wednesday Adams specifically. Um, it's a Wednesday is a coming-of-age series about Wednesday Adams as she heads off to become a student at Nevermore Academy, um, whatever Nevermore Academy is. I'm just down for this. This is kind of cool. Um, I liked the Adams Family movies a lot, um, and if done really well, I think it could really – I think it could really land to being something really cool. Uh, Christina Ricci has said she will come back for the sh- for the movie, but she is not cast as Wednesday. Um, she's yeah, coming back. She's coming back in a mystery role. Um, yeah, like she'll probably be a teacher at the school or something like that. It would but, be kind um, of cool to have her play Morticia, but I don't think you want to do that. I don't. I don't think you want to go down that road with her. So that's true too. I always picture Morticia as being like like a taller woman though and I know Christina Ricci's pretty short but I mean sure. that does not to say like Morticia couldn't be short but um yeah that's my prediction is she's going to be a instructor at this Nevermore Academy or something but sure. it kind of almost sounds like Nevermore might be like a spooky version of Hogwarts if you will or something which I'm totally down for that, you know? So, <laughs> so far, this just sounds really fun, and I'm just yeah, kind of excited about Tim Burton, Adam's family, really. <laughs> I, I agree, and um, like I said, I've done right, because I really... Here's the thing. Those original Adam's Family movies, both of them, still hold up. And yeah. I don't want to lose the... Like, I don't want to lose the feel of those movies. So, 
you know, I have I have expectations going into this project, but it sounds cool. Like everything I'm hearing sounds great. So, yeah. Um, all right, you want to hear the weird one for the night? Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> okay. We don't talk about video game hardware very much. Like, look, I'm an Xbox guy. Some people are PlayStation guys. Whatever. Um, Xbox is releasing two new controllers for the Xbox. I saw uh, this. <laughs> they, they are Sonic Sonic the Hedgehog 2 controllers, and they're furry. And when I say yep. furry, they're real fur. <laughs> um, this, I, literally, the pictures, I'm like, this just seems weird. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you have any thoughts on this, dude? Like, I just... <laughs> I, I don't think really they're know what to say about it. I'm like, why did I pick this story? I don't have any thoughts because it just seems weird to me. Um, I think I feel like like they're obviously going to be uh, functional controllers, but I feel yes. like they're really just collectors' items. Like people are going to buy them and put them in a glass sh- uh, case in their man cave. Um, I don't know. To me, I don't. If I'm playing video games for a couple hours straight and I have you know my sweaty palms going and stuff, I don't want to be holding onto like blue or uh red you know furry controllers like that just does not sound (laughs) like a good time so well that's kind of where i'm at with this well there's that but like your hands get sweaty and now you're holding furry control like what exactly (laughs) what i don't i don't know yeah Um, all right um moving on (laughs) i am a big fan of the anime sword art online um i thought before on the show um, there are four seasons. I'm like, I think, ten episodes away from the end of the fourth season. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, the uh, I, I'm getting to these really like emotional reveals that are hitting right now, and I'm like, oh man, like it's one of those things where like you've been watching for so long, and then something like this happens, and it's the payoff. Um, I don't want to compare it to Avengers Endgame because that was a different sort of payoff and an emotional journey. But in the same sense of an emotional journey, there's moments that are happening that are very, like, Endgame-esque moments where you're just like, yeah. God, that's all, you know, like. So um, things are really happening on the show, and it's awesome. So Sword Art Online has the four seasons. They have a movie called Ordinal Scale, which is really good. That one's on Hulu. Uh, for some reason, it's not on Netflix. So you have the whole show on Netflix, but the one movie is on Hulu. Like, the whole show's on Hulu, too. I just thought it was weird. But um, uh, this past winter, they released a movie into theaters, Sword Art Online Progressive, um, which I have not seen yet uh, because I didn't get a chance to go see it at the theater, so I'm just waiting for a chance to watch it at home. But they just announced Sword Art Online uh, Progressive Scherzo of Deep Night. Okay. Um, which, that's the full title. And that sounds awesome. I'm in. I just wanted to mention that it's announced. So if anyone's a fan like I am, they're saying it's supposed to be fall of 2022. So, um, so this is a new movie that's coming out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Sword Art Online, Progressive, Scherzo of Deep Deep Night. Um, that's awesome. A scherzo, um, a scherzo is a musical term too. So I don't know where they're going with that, but hey, you never know. Um. I yeah. I uh. I've never gone to see like a. Uh, anime film that's like premiered in the theaters like that where it's like a big event thing and stuff um i almost went to one of the um my hero academia films that came out but it was just kind of like i couldn't get the scheduling right and stuff but from what i've heard it's kind of like a big event when you go to those things because it's all the just 
really big anime fans come out of the woodwork and it's like kind of a really cool experience, <laughs> you know, party and you're like, Hey, you're an anime. You like this? Yeah, like, yeah exactly. <laughs> seeing all these people, you like your neighbor, and it, your, well, your neighbor down the street. Like, like, I didn't even, I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. Kind of like that. And it's also like, wow, I can actually talk to people about this show that I like and they'll know what I'm talking about and stuff. But, <laughs> right. Um, I'm sort of online. I've been a little bit, motivated to try to rewatch this show again because I tried before and I just wasn't getting into it but with all the news coming out related to like the metaverse and stuff I kind of just want <laughs> to watch it just to see like oh so that's where we're going to be in 3 years <laughs> or something like that uh, but we're, um we're a little closer I'm actually trying to find it right now we're a lot closer than you think <laughs> Um, hold on. No, I'm not right on. No, I'm not. That doesn't surprise me at all. I found it. I found it. Okay. So if you watch the original season of Sword Art Online, before you go back all the way to the beginning, the game, the Nerve Gear tech, which is the virtual virtual reality tech that they use in the show, plus the game release November 6th, 2022. Oh, wow. So we are exactly... 227 days down to the first events of Sword Art Online. Uh, well, very, so, so are they already beta testing it, though? I don't know, but sign me up, because... Because <laughs> wasn't that part of it? Like, th- there's all the people who got addicted to it in the beta testing. So then when it was actually widely released, they go in right away and then get trapped in the game, right? Well, they go into the game, but then the creator, basically what he was doing was he was making a... It was it was a science experiment. He wanted to build a society and watch it function and flourish like an actual, like, thing. <laughs> So he took the logout feature out of the game so no one could exit the game and they were all trapped. And it was the, if you, if someone removes the nerve gear while you're in, it'll kill you in real life. If, uh, you die in the game, you die in real life. It was like real life stakes. And, um, they're in the game for two years before anyone gets out. Uh, it's like a two year time span or whatever. And it's, in, and the, and where the show really broke for me in terms of the real, the possibility of what that show was, was when they get out of the game and they're in the hospital, hooked, all hooked up to life support machines. And I'm like, oh my God, not only are we still going to have all the video game virtual reality, like dialogue stuff that's going on, <laughs> but we're also going to get the reverse side of it with the, um, you're going to get out the real world aspect of them trying to put their lives back together. And like, there's this whole like psychological thing that's going, you know what I mean? It's just awesome. Yeah. Um, and just, just hearing this description, you can really picture yourself waking up in a hospital bed and being like, man, I've just been stuck in a game for three years because of Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, I thought the real life villain was going to be a lot more cool than Mark Zuckerberg, but here we are. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, however, uh, it, this is the game, the show and the game are way cooler than Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> that. Um, the, uh, I, uh, if, if you do, Peter, if you do jump on and start watching, um, it's, uh, the first two seasons and then the movie Ordinal Scale and then the third and fourth season. Uh, okay. and there is a side, there is an offshoot season, which has nothing to, which, it's not that it has nothing. It's like literally a spinoff series um, called Gun Gale Online. Um, okay. Because in the second season, they go to another game called Gun Gale, which is directly tied to the main overarching story. 
they tell they have a off they have a spin-off that's just about that game. Um nice. so if if you if you go into it that's the order. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of just in this mode where I want to start watching anime regularly again too. So that's part of my motivation as well, well so. It's a good anime to jump into. <laughs> All right, <laughs> right on. <laughs> let's let's hit the Marvel news real quick. Um there will be no WandaVision season 2. Oh, I mean, I could see that coming. As much fun as the first one was, we kind of all knew that was going to happen, right? Yeah, the the first one was a very, it was a show about grief, and WandaVision has dealt with her grief. Sorry, not WandaVision. Wanda has dealt with her grief, and she's moved on. Um, And she's stepping into a movie role right now with Doctor Strange. Um, The big lingering question, there's two lingering questions from WandaVision, the show. Agatha Harkness, who we're already Mm -hmm. getting an Agatha Harkness show. And the white vision. Those are the two big lingering questions. Absolutely. So, um, is that going to happen in a show? We know how Agatha Harkness is coming in a show. The white vision, that's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out. Um, is it going to be a show or is it going to be a movie or how we get to see, when do we get to see him again? Because you, you got to remember he's still out there. So. Just like the frost beast in, uh, <laughs> Or the Dark World. Yeah. He's still out there. He, he, he is. That, <laughs> that's funny that you brought that up, because uh, I forgot about that. Um, okay. Marvel is reportedly moving away from MCU projects set in New York. And this, you know what? This is a Marvel problem that has existed since the dawn of the Marvel comics. And it's just funny that we don't talk about it more. Um, Marvel Studios decided to shake things up with Moon Knight and take him on a global adventure versus his New York City location in the comic books. They set the show in London. Um, It was set in London, and when I was asked why, um, it was like, we have too many characters in New York, so it seems like let's change it up a bit, stated Oscar Isaac. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. (laughs) So Marvel has way too many characters in New York, which made me go, yes, they do. Superman's in Metropolis, Batman's in Gotham, Flash is in Central City, Green Lantern's in Coast in uh, Coast City, Aquaman is in Atlantis, Wonder Woman's in Themyscira. All the Marvel characters in New York, in, our, in New York. Absolutely, um, New York should be the most crime-free city, and they should have nothing to do. Um, <laughs> but it's nice to know that we're going to get to see, I guess, some city diversity in the Marvel universe, uh, which is funny. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, like, thinking of uh, Spider-Man Far From Home, like, I really did enjoy the uh, scenery change, you know? We were watching a Spider-Man movie that took place in Europe, so I think it's, like, it's not going to make a huge difference with Moon Knight, but it is kind of fun (laughs) to have a different scenery change, you know? Who doesn't want to watch a superhero show that takes place in London, you know, instead of New York or whatnot, so. Yeah. Um, Okay. Um, The Incredible Hulk. This is a Marvel film that is in the in the realm. <laughs> I, think of, I know where you're going with this one too. <laughs> in the realm of contract hell, um, the Incredible Hulk is never going to be on Disney Plus. Um, in the realm of Disney trying to get all their stuff back and put it on places, it's never going to be on Disney Plus because uh, the company that helped put uh, incre- the Incredible Hulk movie together was Universal. So they own the film rights to the Incredible Hulk, and that's why it's you'll probably never see it because of the crazy Disney Universal copyright contract nonsense with the Marvel characters and what can be allowed at what theme park versus not theme park. Like it's weird. 
Anyway, um, The Incredible Hulk will finally be streaming. Um, and weirdly enough, it's going to appear on April 1st, but um, it's going to be streaming on HBO Max if anyone wants to catch up. So if you're going to do a big <laughs> Marvel rewatch, watch Iron Man 1 and then hop over to HBO Max, watch Incredible Hulk, and jump back over to Disney, Disney Plus and continue on. <laughs> but at least well, you'll be able to catch the movie. So I saw a screenshot going around where it was an article that uh, the article literally, like there's this big picture of, you know, Edward Norton Hulk uh, front and center, and then the article says, the Incredible Hulk will finally be streaming on HBO, HBO Max. And then, you know, it's been tweeted, tweeted around and people are just like, um, what? <laughs> <laughs> and the biggest mystery is the finally part, because obviously it's not the uh, streaming service we wanted on. But it's just really it's interesting. The, but it's, it's a good look. It's finally going to be streaming. It's just not where everyone wants it. And exactly. Fortunately, because of the contract craziness, it can't be where everybody wants it. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. All right, and then this is my favorite Marvel story of the week. Marvel is developing a Nova project with Moon Knight writer, with the writer from Moon Knight. Uh, nice. The favorite Marvel hero, Nova, will finally be getting their own project from Moon Knight writer, uh, Sabir Pizzada. I don't know if I pronounced that right, but sure. It is unknown whether this will be developed as a feature film or a limited series for Disney+. Plus. Here's the thing. When we got to see the Nova Corps... In Guardians of the Galaxy, I thought that was our window into getting Nova. Yep. Yeah. When we learned that Thanos wiped off, just destroyed Xandar to take the Power Stone, I was like, oh my god, Nova's gonna, we're gonna get Nova here. Like, there's gonna be a Nova cameo, right? Mm-hmm. Because he's the, he's the only surviving member of the Nova Corps. That's the whole point. We have not gotten Nova yet, so I think that's awesome that we can be getting it soon, so. Yeah, I kind of, uh, I'm kind of in the same place you're at where I, it's just like, I thought we were going to get this sooner, but I'm glad to see it coming. Um, I almost kind of want it to be a TV show because aside from, I'd say like Loki, like the TV shows have been pretty earth based and stuff, and it'd be cool to have some more crazy cosmic Marvel well, stuff going on. And, and, and I'm, glad, show you, series, and I'm you know? glad you said it like that. And I have a feeling if you're going to have Nova pop up at all, it's going to be, Marvel's going to try and beat HBO or Warner Brothers to the table on this one. You're right. Because Nova is essentially the Marvel version of Green Lantern, and they're about to drop the Green Lantern Corps show on us, and I feel like Disney's going to Disney's gonna go get that out as soon as possible because we got to beat DC to the table again. Um, well, they Disney has to move fast, though. I know. You know, in well, that here's case, the thing. But We're seeing an article saying they're developing, they're probably well beyond the phase of us thinking developing. Yeah, you know, this article reads to us. The article reads to us that it's pre-production, but in reality, they're probably closer to post-production, and they're just not ready to tell us yet. So. Yeah, and it's also like it's almost like they just have to start drumming up the uh, the hype. You know, they just have to make yeah. sure the hype for Nova is higher than Green Lantern and. uh I don't know, it's a crazy, crazy just marketing schemes and stuff that we could get into. But I just think, uh, yeah, you just have a really good point. It's like, how is this going to play out while there's also a Green Lantern series coming out? You know, it's kind of, uh, I kind of want them both to have their own, uh, I don't know, amounts of attention given to them. I don't want people to, like, favor one over the other because they're both really cool characters and stuff. But it is what it is. 
Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. You want to talk about tonight's list? Because that's it for the news. Yeah, let's go for it. Sweet. All right, man. Well, uh, let's talk about the list, um, and let's roll the thing. And now for the top five. All right. Uh, okay, Peter. So yes. this was my pick. Um, I'm surprised we've never talked about this before because we've talked about um, a lot of video game, different video game type stuff before, but we've never really discussed video game stories. Um, we've talked about characters. We've talked about locations. We've talked about, like, fighting games and stuff like that. We've never really talked about story. And there's a lot of conversation poking around the internet, I see it a lot here and there, like when I'm like clicking through stories and stuff, that people are keep referencing the fact that video games are the future of storytelling. Now, right. I know there's a video game out, video game player out there somewhere, or a novice casual video game player who only plays Animal Crossing or Wordle or games like that, where you're like, wait, video games have stories? There's some really in-depth storytelling that happens in these games. And, like, I will watch a movie. I'll watch Star Wars over and over and over and over again because of the story. There are video games that I will play over and over and over and over again because of the story where a movie takes me two hours on average and a video game could take me 20. Right. And it's just such an engaging, it's an engaging, engaging, immersive story that um, you get really invested sometimes. Um, so I just thought it'd be fun to talk about our favorite video games based solely on story. Take away all the gameplay, take away the graphics, because let's be honest, sometimes gameplay can get repetitive. Let's be honest, sometimes graphics aren't going to be the best, but the story is so immersive and engaging that it keeps us either playing or coming back for more or so on and so on. So that was my thinking in this list. Um, I found... My take on the list was interesting because I was looking at it from story perspective. So there were games I was writing in my short list that I was like, nope, not engaging enough. You know what I mean? So I don't know if you had any thoughts on how you put this together, but. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think of where to start because you covered so much ground there. But I think my list, um, I thought it was pretty easy to put together. And the reason is, well, one, because. I think I play a lot less video games than most people, <laughs> so I might might have had a smaller group of games to pull from. But also, I grew up, um, you know, we actually drew, we both grew up in the age of, like, 8-bit games, and there was, you know, Nintendo and Super Nintendo, and uh, I honestly kind of was pretty platformer-centric for, you know, most of, you know, when I was a kid, I was mostly drawn to platformers, you know, Mario, Sonic, uh, Crash Bandicoot, stuff like that. So when it came to games that really had an engaging story, there was kind of a turning point, and it was probably for me right around when um, the first PlayStation came out, and I started realizing, like, oh, no, games can have really badass immersive stories. And a lot of my list is actually kind of some of the first games that hit me that way because they just changed the way I thought about video games as a uh, form of entertainment. You know, they can be so much more than your typical ar arcade game or platformer or something like that, if that makes sense. Sure. No, um, I got you. And you know what? Mario Brothers has a story to it, but it is very 
complicated and convoluted and all over the place, and it's not as engaging as some of the stories that we're going to talk about tonight, basically. Right. You know, um, (laughs) and like if Mario made your list, I didn't mean to just put you down on that one. So, (laughs) no, it didn't make my list, but I think um, I think there are areas of Mario, like if the if like the game Super Mario RPG made your list, like that makes a lot more sense than some of the other Mario games. So there is maybe an argument to be made there, but I definitely hear uh, hear what you're saying there. But uh, yeah, I have two honorable mentions. I don't know. uh, So do I. So go ahead, because my (laughs) okay. So my first one is uh, I'm kind of including because it's kind of a big cheat. Because I just went with the entire franchise of Legend of Zelda, and um, I haven't played all the games. I've played a handful of them, but I think Legend of Zelda, and even going back to when I was a kid, like that 8-bit NES era, era that I was talking about before, I think even going back to the first game, as soon as you start playing it, you have the uh, the feeling of adventure and story, even though it's like a very simple sort of gameplay, but they really did a good job of conveying this, like, big open fantasy world that you could run around in and fight monsters and stuff. And I feel like every time I've picked up a Legend of Zelda game, it's been the same experience where I feel like I'm in this big fantasy, open fantasy world ready to go on an adventure, whether, you know, whether it's, like, the old school, like, 8-bit games or, you know, or, like, the 16-bit, like, Super Nintendo version and stuff, or if it's, you know, some of the newer games. Like, I, I haven't played through Breath of the Wild, but I've played, like, a chunk of it, you know, at a friend's house, and I just thought that was an amazing experience. And uh, I've just always admired Legend of Zelda for really conveying that element of adventure and storytelling better than most games I've played or honestly. So I don't have too much to say about that one, but that's my first honorable mention. Sure. So, all right. Um, so my first honorable mention is also a cheat. Um, and it's because it's an entire franchise. Um, <laughs> I mean, look, if you needed to put a whole franchise, it's fine. Cause sometimes there's the series <laughs> issue. You know what I mean? Um, where the whole series, like a three game cycle or something like that. Because it's telling one story. Like, you know, Star Wars is a trilogy, for example. But the reason I consider this a cheat is because it's not a video game IP. It's something else first, and then they did a video game series. Oh, okay. Uh, Specifically referring to the Batman Arkham series. Uh, Arkham Asylum, Arkham City, Arkham Knight. First off, it's those three games together are probably one of the best Batman stories ever told over the sheer number of hours of gameplay, when you get all the side stuff in there from, like, all the side characters and everything, it's incredible Batman comic book storytelling. And then on top of that, you get the amazing games. But it's just it wasn't a video game proper that um, I wanted to bring up. So that's, that's, why, a, that's, that's why it's an honorable mention as opposed to an actual pick. So I can see why it's on an honorable mention, but I feel like that could have been your main pick and it could have worked in that way. But um, no, these games are really, really great. I've mostly witnessed people playing them and then like played around, but I've always admired the Arkham games because one of the things they do really amazing is when you are running around Gotham city as Batman, you feel like you're Batman. Like they really like you gliding around and grappling, hooking and climbing. And it just really feels like Batman should be. And I've also always 
really appreciated the uh, character design and, like, the art direction in those games and stuff. It just feels like a perfect blend of realism and comic book exaggeration. And that all, in my opinion, does factor into the uh, storytelling of the game as well. Right. So, yeah, only, yeah, definitely a good call. And not only just walking around the city, but... Batman, like when, like when you get to, cause you don't get the Batmobile until you get to Arkham Knight. And then it becomes like Grand Theft Auto with Batman and the Batmobile and you're just like cruising around the city and like taking down like the car chases and then you're like flying out, like you're hitting the eject button and flying out of the car and using the cape to glide to a building. Like it's just like, yes, this is exactly what it should be. <laughs> like, you know, um, absolutely amazing. Um, so yeah, anyway, move on. Because uh, we got a lot of story to talk about. So, <laughs> yeah. So my next honorable mention is uh, a blast from the past that I think might make you laugh, Drew. But I actually went with the uh, old game on our old Macintosh Classic called Dungeon of Doom. <laughs> I'm assuming you remember this one, right? Yes. Yes. So this is a very old school, sort of like dungeon crawler, sort of RPG, sort of game. And uh, this this game, the reason I put this on my list is because, you know, I first played this game when I was played this game I don't know. a long time. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, but like I played this game when I was like five or six for the first time, so I was really young. But I was really interested in, uh, you know, it has those sort of RPG mechanics where you can get different weapons and you can. There's like a level of customization to your character that you can have, and this was like the first game where I ever experienced that, and it really like turned my head. Where I was like, okay, you're your own character, and you're kind of crafting the story, and things are going to play out differently depending on which way you choose to go in the dungeon and stuff like that. Um, before um, or while putting my list together, I actually found out that this. Dungeon of Doom was actually a demo version of a game called The Dungeon Revealed, which I never knew about that, but that I thought was pretty interesting, too. Like, we weren't even playing the full game, but it was really that sort of the slightly customizable RPG elements is really what uh, turned my head with this one. So that's why it's an honorable The Dungeon Revealed. (laughs) Right on. (laughs) If you can hunt one down, maybe you can find an emulator somewhere. Yeah, maybe. I haven't thought about that game in such a long time. Anyway, <laughs> um, moving on. Um, so my next honorable mention, um, and I'm, this is the thing where I'm going to get yelled at somewhere along the inter- in the internet for me putting this on an honorable mention and it shouldn't be higher on the list. Um, and that's Final Fantasy VII. Okay. Um, now, here's the thing. This is a wonderful, absolutely amazing <sighs> game, probably one of the greatest video games ever in the history of video games. The story is unbelievably amazing. The reason it gets an honorable mention is I feel like it's a cliche to say that it's the best, one of the best. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, come this on. This weird part of, this is weird part of me that's like, <laughs> is it my favorite? I really don't know. Because there's other Final Fantasy games that I think overall I like better than Final Fantasy VII. Oh, there you go. It's, it feel like it's the answer on paper. You know, like, I think 12 was a better game than Final Fantasy 7, but I know people disagree with me. Final Fantasy 7 is amazing. Don't get me wrong. I love Cloud and Tifa and all the characters, but in terms of the story and stuff, I think 12 might be a better story. Um, just as an example. Um, so I just feel like this the, it's, it's the thing where you ask someone who their, what their favorite Star Wars movie is and they say The Empire Strikes Back because that's the on paper answer. You know, like, yeah. what's your real answer? Like, the, their question would be, don't tell me what your favorite movie is. 
tell me what the most important movie of the of the saga is. You know, what's the most important movie to you? Not favorite, most important to you. You know, that's a different and question, I, you know. So I think the what's most important to you question is always a lot more interesting of a discussion than yeah. this is what all the critics agree on sort of thing. Right. But I think, um, I don't know, your dis- the description of this game reminds me of a Weird Al quote that I've heard where he said, when he asks people what their favorite Weird Al album is, they always say the one that came out when they were when they were around 12 years old. <laughs> you know, and it's the one that their humor was just at the right level to enjoy that sure. album at that time. And I feel like Final Fantasy VII is a little bit that way because all of these, you know, 30-year-olds, you know, 30-something-year-old game journalists nowadays were... 12 year, years old when Final Fantasy 7 came out and it hit them so much differently. And I wonder if yep. like moving into the future, if Final Fantasy 7 is always going to be considered the best or if it's going wow. to change. But I, I do think, think that, oh, keep going. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Finish I, I was just going to say, I, I do think that um, when you look at characters like Cloud and Sephiroth and uh, a lot of the other games like uh, Tifa and Aerith and stuff, I think that, there is like a really level of uh, iconicness to those characters that I don't know if the other Final Fantasy games have matched just from the sure. fact of like, these are iconic characters we've seen everywhere. Like everybody knows who they are, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. But what were you going to uh, say? And that I think is why I consider it a, a cliche answer. Um, yeah. The uh, crap. What was I going to say? Oh, no, no, the whole, Final Fantasy VII holding up. I did purchase Final Fantasy VII Remake for the PlayStation 4, um, and it is absolutely wonderful. Um, it's literally like, it, it's, it, you, you kind of got to play, if you've played the original and then playing this one, it's absolutely wonderful. So um, I, I, I don't want to shy away from how amazing the game is. I just feel like it's a cliche on paper answer. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> That's all. Right. That's the reason it's an honorable mention. So ultimately, it made the list, but it's just, yeah. <laughs> anyway, nice. what's your first actual pick of the night? Yeah, so moving into my list, I'm going to do things a little bit out of order, but since we're on the sort of uh, old-school PlayStation RPG route, um, I'm going to go with The Legend of Dragoon, um, right. which is on my list. And this is a game I've never uh, – Final Fantasy VII, I never played a lot, like, all the way through it. I kind of just know a lot about the game and stuff just because I have friends who are super fans. But uh, The Legend of Dragoon is, like, a pretty similar, like, turn-based RPG that was on uh, the PlayStation. I don't know if it was on any other uh, consoles, but this is a game that I actually found um, on at Goodwill, like, I feel like it was like five or six years ago or something, and it was just kind of like, I remembered it from when I was a kid, I thought it looked cool, and then I ended up finding it at Goodwill, and I was like, sweet, I'm going to play this, <laughs> you know, and I kind of just got really immersed, and this is another thing where... Like I said before, my youth, I feel like I was so platformer focused that I never really enjoyed a lot of the turn-based RPGs, but I remember getting really into The Legend of Dragoon, and I think when it comes, when when you look into this game, like the plot, I think it's like kind of a pretty cliche sort of fantasy plot where, you know, there's this like evil emperor overlord that they're trying to take down and you have the, you know, the lone boy from <laughs> some city that burned down who has to go and try to take him out. And he ends up amassing this like 
group of uh fellow fighters and stuff that are going but there's also like this there's the cool aspect what's unique is there's this weird ancient legend of um these you know dragoons like these people with this magical armor with wings and how there was this old dragoon war and stuff and the main character ends up gaining some of those uh you know dragoon powers and armor and stuff but uh when it really comes down to it this is another one where the turn-based RPG format is really what I got addicted to. And uh, it was one of those things where I got really into this game and it was one of the first like turn-based games I got into like that. But I had actually played Dungeons and Dragons before playing this game. And I was kind of really shocked because people always told me like, you know, JRPGs are pretty similar to D&D. And I never realized it. And then I played the game and I was like, Oh no, this is just like D and D, and this is awesome, and this because is they all because they all ripped off the D and D system essentially. Exa- you know exactly, exactly, I mean? <laughs> but but in the best way because it was yeah. this thing where I started playing this game and I wasn't playing D and D regularly at that time, and I was like, oh, I don't even need my friends to do, to do this. <laughs> you know, I can start building my character and you know you know making sure I save up to buy the best <laughs> I don't weapons need friends. and let. <laughs> And being able to level up and stuff. And I think it was really like, I did get really into the, into the story, but I think it's just, I loved the game and the mechanics and stuff so much. And I think with, uh, you know, in 2022, I think the turn-based RPG style of gameplay is a little bit dated. Like it's a little hard to get into, but I feel like when you, when you allow yourself like the 20 minutes or so that it takes to kind of get back into that mindset, I do think it's a really addictive, really fun sort of gameplay to go into. And the, uh, the strategy of it, like the chess game of, um, you know, of how you're going to fight these, uh, monsters and stuff in a turn-based way, I really love. So like this one, I did get a lot into the story, but it is really, when I think about it, it was the gameplay that brought me in for this one, if that makes sense. That's fair. I get it. Um, all right. I've never played the game, so I don't have anything to add, unfortunately. <laughs> right on. <laughs> um, all right. So my actual first pick of the night is Final Fantasy XV. I know okay. I, just, I know I just mentioned seven for whatever reason I did, and I know I mentioned 12 saying the story. Final Fantasy XV blew me away in terms of the story and how immersive and how invested I became in the characters and the story itself. It literally, like, took me completely by surprise. I haven't played every Final Fantasy game. And if you're thinking to yourself, oh, my God, there's 15 of these games, well, yeah, but you don't have to play them in order. They're literally all kind of isolated adventures. You know what I mean? They all have different characters. They're not... Like, if you just know the world of Final Fantasy, you're going to get some Easter eggs, but ultimately you could just hop into any one of them and play. Final Fantasy XV tells the story of a Prince Noctis who you play and his four friends. Now, Prince Noctis is, sorry, three friends, so it's an adventuring party of four. Prince Noctis is set to marry Princess Lunafreya in the city of Altitia, all right? Mm Mm-hmm which is a decent way away from his kingdom. So they're going to he's going to road trip with his friends to Altitia as kind of a sort of a bachelor party if you will. Let's go on a road trip, one last run with the guys and we'll get to Altitia for the wedding. So they're going to like go on a road trip and camp along the way and get to Altitia and they're going to have the wedding. Right after he leaves the city, 
the neighboring country invades, kills the king, takes over his home city, and is now on a compl- and like on a full invading takeover of the country. Nice. Because of how the city was wrecked and they can't put a time and place to N- Prince Noctis' leaving, no one knows that he's still alive. So now you are trying to get to the city of Altitia while dodging the Imperial troops and everything, trying to take you, like, hunt you down and everything, and this whole huge conspiracy story about how to overthrow the king and take the throne and all this stuff, and then you get to Altitia, and then, like, the sequences with Princess Lunafreya and how that kicks into, like, where it continues on with the story. I was so invested in the love story. I was so invested with the, um, the camaraderie of, um, the four friends just road tripping across the country and you road trip in a car. Like you literally get in a car and drive. Um, <laughs> that was the interesting thing. And if you had to stop and camp, you stopped and camp and that's how you either leveled up or saved or like healed yourself. Cause it's like, well, we got to sleep. Um, mm-hmm. It's, it's literally, it was so immersive. And even the fact that you had to cook food, like you stopped at a campsite and cooked and you had to earn recipes because different recipes give you different like health stuff or, Stamina boosts or whatever the case may be, but um, it's an incredible, incredible story. If you get a chance to play it, I highly, highly recommend it. It's on both PlayStation and Xbox, so definitely check it out. Um, but just the story alone, it's incredible. And a lot of Final Fantasy games are turn-based combat. This was a hack and slash, so if you're not used to the turn-based, you find that too slow. This one can be either turn-based or hack-and-slash. You can literally do the button mash, hack-and-slash, normal fighting game, or you can do it as a turn-based game. You have a choice. Um, I did as the hack-and-slash because it just made it really fun. Um, But I'm telling you, man, I was just blown away by the story with this one, so... Um, I actually, I, uh, I haven't played this, but I remember when it came out, I actually looked up Final Fantasy 15 while you were talking, and I was like, oh, I remember this game, because I just listened to so many podcasts and stuff that talked about this when it came out, and, uh, I've heard, like, amazing things. <laughs> I've heard, you mentioned, like, the camaraderie you have with the, uh, you know, the people in your main group, and I've heard people say that this game is, uh, bro simulator essentially i mean it kind of is because it's a guy's it's it kind of is because it's got a guy's road trip aspect Mm -hmm. to it but you know but um i've also heard the same thing about the the combat that it is a hack and slash you know something more along like kingdom hearts sort of gameplay yeah you can do it actually uses the kingdom hearts combat system right and but but i've heard you can do more of a turn-based thing where it's almost like fighting in slow motion, which kind of sounded pretty cool to me. But uh, you talking about the storyline in a weird way, I was hearing elements of uh, Princess Bride as well as Three Musketeers in there, which just sounds badass. And it makes me more motivated to uh, actually want to play this. So, yeah, sounds really awesome. I I highly, highly recommend this one. Uh, Like I said, it blew me away in the, the hours of it. And I came real close to doing a full replay, and then I got done a whole rabbit hole of another game, but, um, yeah, anyway, um, what's uh, your, uh, what? No, no, I was, yeah, I was going to move into my next pick, yeah, but I was going to say, I think it's funny because you're doing like these really in-depth things and a lot of my picks are just like, I remember getting super into this story <laughs> and I don't <laughs> remember a ton of the details, but this <laughs> game really got me into the story sort of thing. Sure. Um, and that kind of goes along with, uh, 
my next pick, because this one's another one where it came out when I was really young, and it was a big turning point for me, and that is the game. Drew, you've played a lot of this game, too. That's the game uh, Riven, the sequel to Myst um, yeah. that we had on our old computer. And I think I this game... Riven. Riven was a long sit. Absolutely. And this game is one that... Um, like, I feel like I played a handful of this game until it got too hard, and then I feel like I watched you play through the rest of the game, Drew, to honestly to fill in all the story parts. But this was a game that it's really like this really detailed, uh, pretty realistic sort of point-and-click adventure where you're going through this uh, mysterious world and you have to do all these crazy puzzles and stuff. And uh, at the time it came out, it was like... Like, I say pretty realistic, but it was, like, ultra-realistic re- graphics for the time that it came out. Yeah, um, like, put everything, in, was like put, photo, everything was, like, photo-real. Yeah, uh, and I was actually looking up screenshots before we recorded today, and they actually held up better than I thought they would. And I think it's because it's that sort of point-and-click, like, there's a lot of still screenshots, so it's... uh they could maybe make it look a little bit more realistic and detailed. But I remember this game because of the mystery and uh, really it was a lot of it had to do with like, they had these live action cutscenes in there where when this came out, that was a little bit unheard of to me where I was like, wait, this is a computer game, (laughs) but it's also like a movie. And I remember it being super mind blowing for me at the time. So honestly, like this is another one where it was kind of just a big turning point uh, relating to how I thought about video games besides uh, like, as far as the actual plot to Riven, I don't know if I remember it super well, but I remember being super invested in it back in the day, if that makes sense. So (laughs) I totally hear you. And I loved Riven. Riven was great. And like, I think the first puzzle really messed me up, and I had to use the guide to get past the first puzzle. But once I got through the first puzzle, suddenly, like, things just opened up in this, like, weird way, and you're just like, okay, right. this world. You know what I mean? It was, <laughs> yeah, awesome, awesome stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, the, the puzzles were really cool, too, like, just the point-and-click puzzles. Like, okay, I got if I put the ball in here, then it, like, activates this, and, you know, like, yeah, figuring all that stuff out. Yeah, really cool. Um. I haven't thought about Riven in a while. Anyway, um, so my next pick is The Legend of Zelda. Um, that's why I didn't say much of it earlier when you were talking about it. Um, very specifically, Legend of Zelda uh, Link's Awakening and Legend of Zelda Link's to the Past. Those two are, in my opinion, the best uh, Zelda games that exist. Um, I did play Breath of the Wild, the most recent one. It's awesome. I love it. But, like, the the stories in... Link's Awakening, Link to the Past are just astounding. Um, and that's Link to the Past is the Super Nintendo one, right? Link to the Past is the Super Nintendo one, and then Link's Awakening is the one that was on the original Game Boy that they just okay. that they just re uh, they did a remake of it for the Nintendo Switch. I, uh, I, those are probably my two favorites as well, especially Link to the Past, but mostly because I've played that more recently because it was on because uh, I have the SNES Classic. <laughs> so I was playing through it a little while ago. Well, and actually, yeah, definitely so I don't ha- I don't have the SNES Super Nintendo Classic, um, but I do have a Nintendo Switch, and all the games from the Super Nintendo Classic are available through Switch. 
So I do have I do have that Zelda on my on the Switch. So the the Switch is a better way to go because people actually play it. <laughs> anybody I know who has the classic consoles, they kind of sit there and never get any use, and I don't know why that is. But <laughs> sure. Anyway, those games, um, I got really. I played. I think I don't know which one I played first, but I remember being on vacation in the car with my Game Boy, and I had Link's Awakening, and it was like, I had just gotten the game, and it was a save it for the car ride, because we were going on a vacation, and mom and dad were driving us, like, road tripping across country thing. Mm-hmm. And I remember turning it on, starting the game in the car, and it was like the world had completely disappeared. And I was literally Link on the island, fighting the monsters, trying to rescue the princess. <laughs> like, it's just, you know, you're... Man, dude, I I was so invested into the realm of that story and like that world and like the fantasy part of like I just was into it, man. And yeah, it was it was like my it was like you suddenly were like living in the game for a long. Like I just like all I wanted to do was play and explore. And yeah, I've been there a thousand times, but I feel like there's something I missed. I got to go back to the woods and you know like so. That's uh, awesome. <laughs> yeah, like I got really, really invested in the Legend of Zelda. That those two specifically. And yeah, I know the original one's amazing and there's people that'll argue that that's the best one, but those people I apparently don't think they played the Super Nintendo one, for example. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, I, I got that that spe- those two specifically I are the best. And it's yeah, there's a the nostalgic value, but in terms of story they're the best. So, well, I think you're touching on uh, something really cool, though, because a good video game um, can be like a really good book. Where, you know, when you're in the middle of like a really good novel or something, it kind of changes the way you think about your everyday life because you're viewing everything through this cool scenario that you're reading about and that can happen if you're playing a really good video game where you're like you know you're going about you know you're doing the dishes and stuff but in your head you're thinking about link and (laughs) fighting all the monsters and stuff and that's just a really cool uh thing to think about especially when it comes to video game storytelling so yeah anyway um what's your next pick man yeah so my next pick is um pretty similar to Riven um, in a lot of ways, but I actually went to with the game uh, The Legacy of Time. Drew, do you remember this game? We had it on a uh, computer back in the journeyman, day. Journeyman, Legacy of Time. Yes, yes, yes. Journeyman exactly. 3, Legacy of Time. <laughs> and that's funny because I um, I didn't <laughs> I didn't have as much time to research my list as I usually try to, so I forgot the journeyman part. But for for me, it was just Legacy of Time <laughs> when I was a kid. But it's this really immersive game where when it comes to like Riven, I remember our family got Riven and we all got really into it. And then I remember playing Legacy of Time and getting even more into it because I it just felt what's that. I think our dad got us that one because, like, oh, they like Riven. This one's like Riven. <laughs> I honestly Pro- think that's where the game came from. Like, um, Probably, was- but I, I remember getting more into the legacy of time because, in a weird way, I don't think the graphics were as realistic, but I think everything felt a lot more animated and a lot more... Um, I don't, what's the right word? Like, I felt like you could do more. Like in Riven, where you could click around, but there's certain places you couldn't go and stuff. I yeah, felt yeah. like Legacy of Time felt a little bit more open. And I just remember it being this really intricate 
crazy time travel story where you'd go to all these different um all these different worlds and stuff and there was like a lot of mysteries going on and there's some really cool puzzles yeah one of my favorite like you'd have to go to like genghis khan like that era yeah for a specific thing, and then after you solved that puzzle, it affected something that happened at a different time period. So then you have to time travel to this other place, and yeah, a- absolutely. Okay. And I, I remember one of my favorite parts was um, I don't know if it was like if it was somewhere in Europe or like ancient Rome or something, but one of the worlds you went to had a lot of canals and uh, yeah, the tunnels. And, and, well, I, I remember there was like a lot to do with canals and levees okay. and stuff, and you had oh, there's okay. a lot of puzzles where it involved like you had to open up this like canal door that was going to fill the water in this other area because you need the water to be at a certain level to get to this place, and it was like a really cool, intricate thing. And while you're wandering around the city, you know, playing with all the canal water levels and stuff, you're of course running into all these NPCs who are giving you like details on the story and the puzzles that you're gonna you know try to figure out and i don't know in my memory the voice acting in this game was also really good i don't know if it was just my age you know that i just got really into it but from what i remember there was some really good voice acting and stuff this one a lot of those a lot of those pc games they hire big names to do the voice acting for them a lot of games in general hire big names right voice actors and you don't think about it until you look up the names and you're just like oh my god there's some massive names that are attached to these (laughs) absolutely but this one um i was gonna say unfortunately like i played it so long ago that i don't remember a lot of the plot details but when it comes to games that i got sucked into the story of i remember at the time this one was definitely like Maybe one, this might be like my top game of getting sucked into the story. I just remember being so into this game when I played it. So, um, but yeah, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this one, Drew, but, uh, this one definitely. Not much more than you had said. My big, my one complaint was when you went to the Genghis Khan time period, they had these tunnels through the mountains that you had to navigate and it was all first person. So you had to like, yeah. If you went the wrong way, you had to turn around and go back to the fork in the tunnel. Like, it was, those were rough. That was hard because you're just like, okay. And, like, there are parts where, like, I was, like, making maps on a piece of paper to figure out which tunnel went where because I'm like, this is good. It, I got ridic- I got really kind of irritated picking the wrong direction. Like, no, that's not the way I go, you know, because you get right. around. And there was a lot of walking through those tunnels. That was the one part of the game that drove me nuts. but And it was near the end, too, and I'm like, no, the whole game's been great up to this point. <laughs> <laughs> I had an experience once like that in a uh, choose-your-own-adventure book. Um, uh, R.L. Stein, who wrote the Goosebumps books, he wrote this uh, really cool like sci-fi choose-your-own-adventure thing about it was kind of a survival story on an alien planet. It was called the Badlands of Hark. But I remember at one part there was this like swamp maze that your character had to try to go through. And I literally did that maze like 50 times, like choosing every possible page you could go to, to the next part of the maze. And I swear it was unsolvable. And it made me so mad (laughs) because I was like, I like this book so much, but I just couldn't get past that one maze because I still think it's unsolvable, but it is what it is. So (laughs) you win some, you lose some, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, All right, man. Uh, I guess it's mine, isn't it? Yeah. So this is this game, um, Elder Scrolls Online. Okay. Uh, this is like the only game I play anymore. I <laughs> I literally like 
Lego Star Wars Skywalker Saga is about to come out, and I'm going to devote time to that because that game just looks absolutely amazing, and I'm going to want to play with my kid. But I'm going to tell you this. When it comes time to me sitting down on the Xbox, I pretty much only turn this game on. This is, like, the only thing I play anymore. Um, when I first experienced the Elder Scrolls series, it was uh, Elder Scrolls IV Oblivion, and I had never played a game like that before in my entire life. Like, that level of immersion, that level of storytelling, that level of magnitude of quests, that level of character building and all that stuff, I was, like, I, I got sucked in bad. And uh, Oblivion was so amazing and had so much heart, and I was kind of doing it by the seat of my pants because I didn't know, and I had to learn things as I go. And then Elder Scrolls V Skyrim came out, which apparently, like, the way people talk about it, they're like, it's the best one. And I highly disagree. Because when I played that, I went into it with all this knowledge of how to play an Elder Scrolls game, and... I felt like I played the game wrong because I just didn't feel it had the same heart as Oblivion did. Mm-hmm. So, and I don't want to say Skyrim turned me off because I put 300 plus hours into Skyrim and so it was a fantastic, <laughs> it was a fantastic yeah. game. But I put that series aside for a while because of Skyrim and I didn't want to play a game like that for a really, really long time. And then I was itching one day. I'm like, I really need an Elder Scrolls level game to play. And I shied away from Elder Scrolls Online for a really long time because essentially it's an MMO, a massive multiplayer online game, if you don't know that acronym. Um, so and then that's not my style of game, but it was on sale during a Black Friday deal, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to pick it up. If it sucks, I got my 10 bucks worth. If it doesn't, I have this cool game to play. Yeah. Uh, I got invested fast and hard. Like, holy crap. Elder Scrolls Online First off, it takes place 200 years, two, 400 years before the events of Oblivion, I think, if I did that math right. So, <laughs> like, you're visiting, so if you know, so if you pl- jumped in where I did, you're visiting, there's all this familiar territory, but then all this new stuff that you hadn't even no idea. Um, aside from the scale of the game, which is massive, the storyline really hooked me. You have these three alliances, the, um, the Ultimary Dominion, the Ebonheart Pack, and the Daggerfall Covenant, all battling over control of Tamriel, like the main continent, for who's going to have the seat of, who's going to hold the seat of power or be the emperor. And it's basically the Three Alliance War. And the political intrigue amongst the Three Alliances are very on par with like Game of Thrones style politics maneuvering in terms of the story and like the quests you go on and stuff and like dealing with the spies that are invading this territory and you got to take them out over here and you're going over here to do this quest and you run into like a raiding party from this alliance into here and you're helping out over there all the military movement the political stuff that goes on and then you have the world ending event with like the daedric gods trying to take over the world from the other realms and like opening dimensional portals and coming through it it's got me so invested that I'm literally like, I've done all the main story quests. I've done all the territory story quests. I've done like all the stuff. I'm now to a point where I'm just like clearing territories and doing all the side stuff I can because I just want more story content. That's Uh, awesome. Every, every character is, you'll hear familiar voices because clearly they had, you know, if you were hired to play a voice in this alliance, you probably did three in that alliance and then three in this alliance and three in the other alliance. 
So you'll hear a repeat voice here and there, but every time you meet somebody new, it sounds new. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the voices don't sound familiar until you're like, I think I've heard that voice before. Um, but in terms of like big actors, big actors, like Kate Beckinsale does a voice for the game, for example. Um, so there's a lot of big names in general, but I got invested hard and there's a new expansion coming out for the game, like in, by, in, uh, what's today? Next week? Yeah, next week. Next Tuesday, I got a whole new expansion for the game and I can't wait for it. Um, so like, I'm all about whatever the next story they're about to tell us, you know, so. That's awesome. Um, I haven't played this at all. Um, our brother Scott, who plays this as well, was showing it to me one time and, uh, I think it looks awesome, and I feel like if I was going to invest myself in a video game right now, it would probably probably be this one because it just looks – like, it looked incredible, and uh, Scott was showing me a little bit of, like, how big the world actually is and stuff, which and just looks awesome. Like, and you zoom the map out, and you're just like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's just from what I saw, it just seemed so immersive. Like, the graphics were really good, and it just seems like you – it just looked cool to be able to run around in a medieval world like that and how convincing and just, I don't know. It just looked like a really good game overall. You know, I I can't do it justice. <laughs> like I said, I pretty much only play that game. Now I turn on the Xbox and that's what I'm playing. So. <laughs> right. Anyway, anyway, we are running a little long, so I'm not trying to make you go faster. I just was like, <laughs> Oh wow, we're running longer than I thought we were. So anyway, continue. Yeah. On. I'll have a couple picks left. Yeah, for sure. So my next pick, um, it kind of makes me laugh because you brought up the uh, Arkham games as an honorable. You mentioned that, like, those uh, existed, quick, you know, Batman. Real quick, the internet flickered on us there. So I brought up the Arkham games. I got that. Did you say anything else? Not really. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, just, just how uh, that was based on something that existed before the video game and that's why it didn't make your final list and that made me that's kind of making me laugh because my next pick is actually the original spider-man game for the for the playstation PlayStation. one that came out and uh this game yes like spider-man was a superhero and i was familiar with spider-man as a character um i would have called myself a spider-man fan at that time but this game and the storyline of this game and stuff, I remembered getting super invested in. And it just had to make my list because not only did I really love the story of this game and, you know, you have Spider-Man and then you have to fight Venom, but then you team up with Venom and then you end up fighting against uh, Dr. Octopus, I think was the main villain. But then he ends up, you know, uh, he ends up getting the Carnage symbiote and becoming Monster Ock. And that was just freaking awesome. And when I was thinking back on the game... I don't know that the gameplay of this game was really that good when you think about it. Like, I think it's it had a lot of run over to that guy, press the button that attacks that guy. Okay, let's run over to the next guy. Like, it had kind of a pretty simple or a pretty simple hack and slash uh, gameplay to it. But I just remember the storyline book imagery being really what brought me back, brought me into the game. What were you going to say? I heard what you said, but the internet is deciding to flicker on us. So, oh, give me that. <laughs> I heard um, when you said, but the story was very like <laughs> story. Like, oh, I was, gotcha. It was funny. Like I was like, wow, that's interesting. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. Um, no, but yeah, it was just it was really like I guess I was just saying like 
I don't know that the gameplay was that exciting or innovative, but I think it was the storyline and uh, just the comic book imagery that really draw, drew me in, and that's why I had to make my list. Like, I loved this game so much, but I don't know that the gameplay was that uh, innovative or engaging, you know? But I, I, one of the biggest reasons this makes my list, too, is I remember the game. This was a game that I think playing this made me realize that superheroes were cool again you know like i was into superheroes yeah. as a kid like every like every kid is really but playing this game it really made me go oh no this stuff's Peter? badass and oh. kind of uh ignited another like capitalizing for me at the time hello yeah hey do do me a favor real quick hey what's up check your internet just check it, because I just checked it. <laughs> right I'm, no, I should I'm be good, good, but... Uh... Here's the thing. Everything you've said, I, we all know what you said and or meant to say. Um, it just flickered just enough that I was saying, just take a quick peek. Technical difficulties, it's all good. We'll fix it in post, right? And it, yeah. My, uh, I, sh- I should be good. Like, okay. I'm connected to the Internet and stuff. I don't know if it's... Um, it, I don't know if it's a weird weather thing, but... Good, uh, it's raining by me, so it's whatever. Hopefully it doesn't continue, but um, I pretty much said, yeah, I I pretty much said most of what I was going to say. I just, I realized it was the story of the game that really drew me in as as opposed to the gameplay. So I I don't know if you have any thoughts on Spider-Man, but. I remember the end of the game having to run the chase scene with Carnage very well. And I remember the, (laughs) I remember the opening of the game and you're right. The combat was the, the, the game mechanics were not the best game mechanics because it's like yeah you run over you push this button to talk to the guy you push this button to punch him but <laughs> i think where we all fell in love with it was when you jumped off the building and you the first time true. you swung on a web you're just like it's so real and it totally doesn't <laughs> hold up to today's standards but at the time you're like it's so real <laughs> absolutely um, like did you ever did you ever watch the goldbergs uh, couple episodes, but not. Okay. There was an episode where he had just gotten the ET Atari game, and oh, I remember he, he was all excited and he put it in. He's like, "God, these are the best graphics," <laughs> you know. So, and it's such a great nice. line because you know we laugh at that, but yeah. Anyway, um, that's all I got to say on Spider Man because I don't remember the story very well on that original one, so. Um, it, it, this, this game had, had really good voice acting too, from what I remember. So, but, yeah. uh, we can move into your, yeah, we can move into your next pick right. if you want. So my next one is Halo. Uh, okay. Awesome. Now I'd love to say the entire franchise because yeah, the entire franchise is fantastic, but I'm really focusing on the first game. Um, this is the game that got me back into video games, if you will. Um, cause you play a little bit here and there when you're a kid and then you take a break off and then you don't play video games for a while cause of high school, college, that kind of stuff. And then you start playing video games again. And this is the one that drew me in. Um, yeah, it drew me in cause of the multiplayer aspect, but then I found out there was a campaign, there's a story mode and I started playing the story and it is every sci-fi fantasy amazingness I could possibly like roll into like one story ever. You have a human civil war going on that gets interrupted by a galactic in alien invasion. And then suddenly humanity's rallying together to deal with this alien invasion. So you're fighting this covenant army that's like coming in from no out of nowhere. And then on top of it, you find these ancient structures that are like created by this other ancient beings known as the forerunners that existed 
millennias before humans did in the galaxy, and then they created this thing called the Flood, which you want to talk about space zombies? Like, you're not going to, like, the surprises, the, the, the level of storytelling, the level of uh, writing that went into piecing this together from section to section to section to section, and you're in it like an action movie, like a, a roller coaster of an action film from beginning to end, and it's just, you know, this is a game that I've played over and over and over and over again, and yeah, the gameplay's great, yeah, the multiplayer's great, but this is one that I always go back to the story because it's such a good story. Um, so, yeah, TV show aside, that TV show is not going to hold it. It doesn't matter what my opinion on that is when I finally watch it, that it's never going to hold a candle to the story of that first game. You know what I mean? Like, or that experience. Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't know what your thoughts are on it, but just Halo in general, like, it's just, it's such a good story, so. No, absolutely. Definitely a good call, and uh, this is one that made my short list, but I feel like I'm not the Halo super fan that uh, you are and some of my other friends and stuff are, so I knew I wouldn't be able to do it justice the way that you just did. Um, but I do think, like, you are, we're touching on something really cool is, like, Especially that first game, the replayability of it, because like you said, you play through the campaign, but then you play multiplayer or you play multiplayer campaign. And that's just like a whole level of replayability that you just didn't even not about, you know, most games don't have that level of replayability, which is just another cool way to enjoy the story. And then also, um, I just love. Halo's one of the most, as far as, like, a video game story making a cultural impact, I think Halo is definitely up there, as well as, like, Final Fantasy, like we were saying earlier. But, like, yeah, the the characters and the species in Halo and stuff are very iconic, very recognizable, very, uh, you know, the cultural impact is there with this story, which I think is pretty awesome, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. I know we'll have a lot more to talk about Halo because the show's out. Uh, <laughs> right on. I'm going to go too deep dive on it because I'm going to nit- be nitpicky here and there with some things, obviously. But it's just, if you like if you like the Alien series, if you like war games, if you like, you know, like, there's so many facets of this that if you just like science fiction in general, if you like Star Wars, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, you're going to like this story. Um, so, yeah, it's just awesome. Anyway, what's your final pick of the night, man? Yeah, my final pick of the night, which I'm kind of curious if we matched on, is uh, Metal Gear Solid. Oh, my God, we did. That's amazing. (laughs) Awesome. And we've talked about this game a couple times, and uh, we've kind of – I feel like we've really blown it up in past podcasts. I don't know how much I want to say, and maybe you want to say more, Drew, but – this game, I feel like, going with the theme of my list, this game really changed the way, or, yeah, really changed the way I viewed video games and the kind of stories you could tell and stuff. And I remember when we first got a PlayStation when I was a kid and playing that original demo disc that came with the game that had, you know, it had demos of, like, I don't know if it was 20 different games or how many different games was on there, but I remember the Metal Gear Solid demo just felt like it was a whole different level above all of the other games like I remember playing through that first 
uh, sort of level in Metal Gear Solid when you're trying to, uh, area. And you're just, yeah, into the base, you know? Like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it was just so, first of all, like, it had, like, this opening cutscene that felt so movie-like and epic, and it was unlike anything I had ever seen, and I was just like, man, this is, like, James Bond, like, at the time, because it was, like, my, you know, I was in junior high, and I didn't necessarily have the most source material to, source material to pull from, but I was like, this is, like, me- uh, Mission Impossible meets James Bond meets I don't know what, but this is badass. You know? Right. And then at the level of uh, sneaking in the base, and I feel like the uh, all the sort of sneak mechanics and stuff of the game, like the gameplay was so unique at the time and so fun. And uh, it's paired with just this really cool sort of like espionage, like pre-apocalyptic storyline with a lot of just really cool characters and character designs and uh i don't know looking back on it it's kind of funny too because the graphics when you look back on them are really dated you know there's like a lot of cutscenes where the characters don't even have animated faces and stuff but it still just felt so epic and so legit and you could take it seriously and it just felt so cool and uh I, yeah, I think I really got into the story of this game like nothing else, just because of the timing of when it came out, but also just how well produced it was, you know? Yeah, um, so I, your point about this being turned my m- brain around in terms of what video games can mm-hmm. be in terms of storytelling. Um, yeah. Actually, it's funny because this is the game that I was thinking about when I said we should do a list like this. <laughs> right on. <laughs> um, this yeah, playing the demo was one thing, but then I played the real game. I ended up purchasing the real game and the or the full game. The game opens with a soldier who's clearly like um espionage spy, whatever. You're not a hundred percent sure. You know he's a soldier, but he's clearly a spy working for the government. And he's basically underwater sneaking into this mm. art military base, this military compound, which has a nuclear a new nuclear payload, a new weapon system for nuclear warfare called Metal Gear, right? And uh, Snake or Solid Snake, the main character. So Metal Gear Solid, there's your title. Um, he sneaks in, and the first thing he does is he gets to like a he gets to a point, and he's like, "All right, I'm about to go in," and he gets a call on his codec, which is like his communication device, and he has a conversation with the general. These are your objectives, blah, blah, blah. All right, so you're now in it. You know what your objectives are. Then he says, you're going to talk to this chick. I don't remember the girl's name, but she's like the radio operator. So if you need to get a hold of someone, she's the person you call. Well, this isn't like a cutscene thing. You can pull that phone up at any time and ring in Mm -hmm. and either talk to her or talk to him. And there's a story that took place on the Kodak. Whether you're talking to the general, whether you're talking to her or someone else, there's a story that took place. Yeah. As you meet characters, you get their, like, contact added to the codex. You can contact them if you get separated. Um, That was incredibly immersive because you started to build, like, an emotional attachment to some of these characters mm-hmm. and you played through. Because the thing about video games is you are that main character. It doesn't matter what character you're playing. You are the main character, and that's the point. You're supposed to be filling that void. 
so you start building emotional attachments to these fictitious characters, and then you meet Meryl, and then you have to deal with the villains like Revolver Ocelot and Snipe yeah. Wolf and the ninja who I'm drawing a blank on. Gray, Gray Wolf. Gray Wolf, thank you. Yeah. Um, but like you, you meet these characters, and you're just like, oh my god, like, like Sniper Wolf. Oh no, is, I think it's Gray Fox actually. Gray Fox, yes, because yeah, Sniper oh. Sniper Wolf, yeah. yeah. Gray Fox, but Sniper Wolf, like her, when you after you defeat her in the game, the story that is told, like the tragic story about her life and how she became how how like what happened to her as a child, which led her to join the military, which led her to be a sniper, which led her to like. Here's like the the storytelling was incredible, and it was basically like living in a movie that took twenty thirty hours to get to the end of. Um, yeah, you know, like it's that game literally <laughs> but the, blew me away. But at the same time, it felt like cooler than any movie you'd have you'd ever seen. Yeah, you know, you're know. playing the game, and you're like, why don't they make movies more like this? Because this right. is a lot cooler. Than most of the Metal other Gear Solid. Metal Gear Solid, I finished, and then I started over. And then I finished mm. it, and I started it over. And I finished it, and I started it over. <laughs> um, yeah. I do have, and like every, and they always, and they had those stupid like Easter egg things, like where you finished it the one time you got the unlimited ammo, or you finished it again and you got the yeah. box like invisibility, or you get, you finished it this time and you like whatever. Um, I still have all my original game saves on a memory card. And I have a copy of the game still, <laughs> so I can sit down and play and just jump right in. But um, I haven't played that game in years, and I actually thought about trying to throw it in. I just don't know if the graphics are going to hold up to hold my attention. <laughs> but the story is as immersive <laughs> as it is. I'd probably be like, "Yeah, let's go," you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing you touched on, which I did want to clarify, is I did play the actual game uh, itself. I just I mentioned the demo disc just because that was my first exposure to it, and it just felt oh, yeah. so oh, like such a step above. Um, but uh, oh, what else? Was, oh, what I what I was gonna say because you talk about having a copy of the game, which I actually don't have a copy of this one. I almost want to imagine that it's probably it probably goes for a pretty penny nowadays. I wouldn't be surprised if this was a bit of a collector's item, but I do have a copy of Metal Gear Solid VR missions, <laughs> yeah. which I haven't broken out in a long time, but I'd like to, because the thing about this game is like the story is so amazing. Like everything we've said so far is true, but like you can't um, understate how much fun the gameplay is and how unique it is to sneak around an environment and trying to stay out of the view of the guards and the security cameras and stuff is it's just a really fun unique kind of gameplay and i think that the fact that they did do the metal gear solid spin-off game uh vr missions i think that's a bit of a testament to how good the gameplay was that they could just make a bunch of you know infrared looking like short Metal Gear levels that you could play through and people just loved it enough that they went and flocked to that as well. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Metal Gear Solid, if you get a chance to play it, great. If not, keep your eyes out because Oscar Isaac is working on a Metal Gear Solid uh, television series. <laughs> That's a good or, reminder. Or, I forgot about that. Or but. a movie or whatever it's supposed to be. Um, but Oscar Isaac is Solid Snake sounds awesome. So Absolutely. Anyway, Peter, what is our uh, list for next week's <laughs> week? And throw this episode in the can because we went way longer than I thought we were going to. So Right. So this one is a big one. And this is one that you would think we would have done. But I also think it's off the beaten path a little bit. But at the same time, it has major 
implications for all the stuff we always talk about every week. And that's because next week I want to talk about our top five pieces of classic literature. And this oh. is this is kind of an interesting one. And uh, before announcing this, I was actually looking up a little bit about, like, what's considered classic literature online. And um, it seemed about as vague as you would think. <laughs> like, it seemed like there was a subjective <laughs> level of, like, certain books are considered, certain books aren't, but... I thought this would be a fun one because on the show we've talked so much about like the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and all the characters on there. And then when you go into the Universal Monsters and how much of those are based on like sure. Victorian novels and stuff. And there's a whole level of just awesome characters that have actually come up in conversation quite a bit. I just thought this would be a fun one to go through, you know, and we don't do a lot of, uh, lists about novels probably because drew i know you read a lot more than me but i thought this would be a fun uh list to tackle you know uh it will be and i can grab and i know three that are going to make the list right now uh, <laughs> awesome. and, and i only say that because i read a ton and so uh, it's f- 50 I, shades I, of gray and 50 well, shades. <laughs> when we watch when we talk read, about watching, what's the other one <laughs> When we talk about the watching and reading category and stuff, I I don't often bring up books because I've gotten to a point where, like, you, you fall into that groove of, like, niche authors and you're just like, if I'm, am I going to talk about the next same author I've just got done reading because he got a new book out or something, you know? So, um, and I've been reading a ton of, like, D&D lore because I'm putting stuff like that together and whatnot and, you know, that kind of stuff, so... Um, but no, I, I've read a ton and, uh, there's a good handful of classic novels that I'll definitely be able to pull from. So awesome. Anyway, that like are true classics in the realm of what you would mean by true classics. So, um, yeah, I think if it's like questionable, like you probably shouldn't do it, but I think most, <laughs> I think you kind of know what it is. Like, <laughs> I'm but, not going to come in here and say like the Harry Potter novels are classic literature, you know, sure. <laughs> like it's going to be older, like timeless archetypal sort of story. Yeah. So, well, anyway, how about this? Let's toss this episode in the can and, uh, we'll see each other next week. Um, right. On. Do us a favor and check out our website, top five report.com. There you'll find links to all of our social media, Twitter and Facebook, along with a link to our email top5report at gmail.com. You can interact with the show there. Hit us up with an email. Either way works. Um, we're on Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts. You can review us in the... Oh, I'm sorry. You can subscribe to us in those places. And if you do, you'll not miss a single episode. You can also leave us a review, which we love those five stars, but we understand criticism because it helps us get better and it makes the words we say feel important. Um, you can follow me uh, on Twitter and Instagram at Drew3927. Uh, Peter, what about you? Yeah, um, you can follow me on Twitter at Ninja Pierre, and that's where I will be revealing that our canned episodes are stored in Warehouse 65. <laughs> um, I love Warehouse 65. Um, <laughs> that was a pretty deep cut, but I that was a, that was a deep cut. <laughs> but I love I love that show. Um, all right, everybody for the top five report. I'm Drew. I'm Peter, and uh, thanks for listening. Have a good night. Mm-hmm.